Welcome to Ignite Your Business Radio Show. Light the match, throw some gasoline on, and buckle up because we're about to take your business to the next level. I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. Content of this podcast should not be considered legal or tax advice and is for informational purposes only. Communications made through this podcast and or participating in this session does not create any type of client relationship. Additionally, the radio show and Lee Sperling Hisamoon Accountancy Corporation are not responsible for any content that you may access from third-party resources that may be accessed through or linked to this session. While for many of us, the end of the financial year brings in mind images of holidays spent around the dining tables or memories made in the snow, for business owners, there is one ominous thing we all have to consider at the end of the year, and that is the dreadful taxes. Did you know that 60% of small business owners are not confident speaking to the state of their own finances? Yep. I hate to be a downer, but the reality of it is that every small business owner spends the end of the year reconciling their accounts in preparation for tax season. It is a daunting task because small business make mistakes and accounting could turn into a very expensive mistake. For this reason, some small business owners choose to outsource their accounting services. Most people who hire accountants are very satisfied with the services they are provided. Accountants do the nitty-gritty work for their clients and help you maintain healthy finances in your company. However, they have done so much more. One of the most famous criminals, Al Capone, was caught because of an accountant with the FBI. How amazing is that? So see, really, Kent, you are a a superhero in some ways. Uh, We consider ourselves experts in the variety of topics here at Ignite Your Business Radio, but we know when to ask for help and look for math geniuses, such as our next guest. Some call these people accountants, but that title doesn't seem to express how smart accountants are and how smart they're expected to be. Today, our guest is both a math genius and an accountant at Lee Sperling Hissa Monet Accountancy Corporation. The Ignite Your Business Radio Show is proud to introduce Kent Lai. Kent, it's a great pleasure to have you on the show with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. Um, uh, Let's have some fun. Yes, absolutely. Let's let's crank it up. Let's talk numbers. You know, that that excites you accountants all the time. So we're going to talk some numbers. All right. So first, I would like you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So uh, my name is Kent Lai. I am a certified public accountant. Uh, I'm a partner at the, my firm, Lee Sperling Hisamone Accountancy Corporation, and we provide tax preparation, planning, and develops tax strategies for businesses and individuals. And we do uh, financial audits. We issue independence accountants or auditors report. Um, our tagline is partners for your long-term success. Awesome. Uh, that was well-practiced. Uh, hats off to you. That was That was like... <laughs> Dead on. You you nailed it. So, Kent, obviously, no one predicted uh, 2020 and with everything going on with COVID and just the way it's ended up this year. But from a global pandemic to uh, murder hornets that seem to fly as fast as someone driving in their car, which is scary thought in itself, probably more scary than the pandemic itself. But uh, this year was certainly for the books, no doubt. Uh, 
what were your predictions with regards to accounting industry for 2020? How did they fare out in the, the wake of coronavirus? Well, you know, I think for us, the public accountants or the tax preparers, um, there was a pause. There was just a huge pause in tax preparation in when the pandemic hits in March. And uh, never in my career for about two weeks in March and or a little bit of April that I have stopped preparing any tax returns at all. And that was because of um, all the government shutdown, all the safer at home, um, I guess, uh, 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 mandate um, that all of a sudden uh, the government with the SBA, the loans and everything just came down all at once. And and at that time, we just have to to stop doing everything on our hands and 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 learn about these loans and uh, grants, uh, whatever our clients, you know, because they couldn't do any business anymore. So for about two weeks, I mean, the, the whole, you know, tax preparation industry just stopped. Um, so we not tax preparation industry, but I would say tax preparation. We just stopped, and we started to learn all these things that we needed to to learn and and to help our clients to get these grants. Now, um, is there going to be significant impact on our industry? No, because it doesn't matter if you're running out of business, if you are doing great in your business. You know, taxes still needs to be filed. So um, you know, the demand for 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 us is is still there. Uh, it has never changed, but it's more, maybe more on the consulting side of things because of all of these new regulations and, and grants and loans that came out um, that we need to, you know, uh, help our clients on. So, you know, um, so, yeah, I mean, that, you know, this year definitely is is something that we have never experienced before. Um, the tax deadline was moved to summer. Um, it was just the longest tax season ever for me <laughs> it was the <laughs> longest ever and it's like and it's like right now if you think about it you know a month and a half later it just starts again and i'm just you know yeah it's just the sure. way it is all right that's life yeah right. I, I i would imagine i mean obviously uh it's disrupted everyone's way of life to a certain degree or another um it is it is derailed in some cases harder on others than than some but um I would have figured things would have kept on going. The numbers would have kept on going, but it makes sense with having to make the adjustments with the new laws and things that are coming out based off of, uh, you know, the government funding some of the businesses and a lot of businesses out there for, uh, that were struggling. So, um, all right, well, we're just getting revved up. So don't go anywhere. When we come back from the short break, we're going to talk about what it's like to market services in the financial industry. We're back with Kent live from Lee Sperling, Hissa Monet, uh, because Kent has experienced both as solo practitioner and as an accountant at a high level firm. He's seen the market on both sides. We're interested to learn more from him. So Kent, let's get into some of the, the marketing side of things. But uh, before working with the firm that you're with now, 
you owned your own accounting firm. You owned your own business. Uh, before we dig into the nitty gritty, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about your move from solo to working for a firm. How has this transition been for you? Well, I mean, it's, it's, um, the transition was great. I mean, so when I first started, uh, as a sole practitioner, as a sole practitioner, uh, you know, marketing was not easy. I mean, you have to get your name out there. Um, I started with just a couple of small jobs and, um, you know, it, it, I, I didn't really work really hard to market myself. I was just um, trying to do my best to serve my client and hopefully my client could refer me to um, other clients, et cetera. So referral uh, was my number one way of getting new client. Um, you know, I, I did try to, to, you know, do a lot of marketing. I tried to do uh, social media. Um, I, I did, you know, post uh, my services on different website to see, you know, if I can get a, you know, some job, um, uh, to, to start, but it, th those were not the, the best, um, uh, marketing tactics. Now, uh, when I get a chance to merge with this current firm three years ago, um, you, you know, that's when I started to do a little bit more referral marketing, uh, because the, the nature of our job, what we do needs to build so much trust in other people. Um, you know, whoever approaches us, uh, to explain the situation, basically they have to open up their hood and, you know, let us see their inside and, and, and in order for us to help them genuinely. So, um, uh, after merging with, with the current firm, um, I, have two other partners and we work as a team. It's more um, of there's more. I feel a little bit more confident to to market myself as a, a larger firm uh, to to gain more uh, sort of ammo, for lack of better words, uh, on the marketing side of things. When we approach people, when people ask you, well, uh, are how big is your firm? You know, oh, okay. Then instead of saying, oh, I'm a one man band. Uh, I'm going to say, oh, uh, uh, you know, um, we're a three partner firm with uh, four CPAs and in, in, uh, uh, and I have a staff of people. And that just, you know, sound a little bit more, um, I guess, trustworthy. For, uh, you know, so 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 um, I definitely can get a better um, uh, market share, not market share, I'm sorry, uh, get a get better prospective clients, uh, who was a little bit, uh, bigger, um, you know, uh, to sort of, uh, medium sized business. Uh, so I can have, because I have that back office support that I have and I work as a team, uh, you know, before as a sole, pr sole practitioner, I mean, you're really just relying on yourself. You don't really, really have anybody to lean on or to share, uh, sort of like, say, for example, a tax plan idea. Uh, to get another person's thought on it. And uh, after partnering with uh, my two other partners with, with this firm, I, I think I the, the most valuable thing is their knowledge and their experience in which they can help me solve problems, looking at things from a different lens or uh, from their experience. If these, if my, let's say, if my plan for my client works, uh, what kind of risk 
am I going to see? You know, they will, you know, help me analyze the heck out of uh, the things that I I didn't have any resources on before. So, so you know, this is the 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 major factor for me, and the transition has been just smooth. I mean, I, I really like it. Awesome. Well, yeah, you've got an entire support team, you know, army, if you will, behind you uh, that's backing you up every step of the way. And also the experts and the partners that you work with bring a, probably another uh, level of expertise and maybe areas that you're not as familiar with and vice versa for them. But also, I think from the client side, it sounds like what we would call on the marketing front is more the trust factor. So you being able to have that partnership and tout the fact that you got an entire team, an entire army behind you that's backing you up gives that trust factor to new clients, especially uh, that they're able to see that, okay, you're not just a one man band of, as we've talked about before, you actually are a full put fully put together uh, company with an entire team to support their needs, which anyone uh you know anytime you're getting service from someone there's oftentimes people are thinking in numbers more people that you have on your side the better off it is so absolutely and of course the larger clients that now you're able to tap into further uh certainly will benefit from and knowing that you've got the support team to be able to handle their maybe complexities that they see in their mind so that's awesome right you know well, one more thing i want to add real quick is is that um you know, with, with a lot of diff, a lot of clients come to me with a very sometimes very complex or weird situation that I've never seen before. So, you know, with with a with a team um, who had uh, with partners who have, I'd say, in aggregate of about sixty more years in, in aggregate of experience, they might have seen it before and they might be an expert in that field. So then, that's when I can actually. Um, leverage their knowledge or um you know uh we can we can have a discussion we have a little bit more um uh experience to how to manage things more methods to to handle different type of things so yeah absolutely so what are the differences in how you had to market your services before uh when you were that one-man band as we talked about versus how you market them now well, yeah, I mean, um, so lead spreading has been around for a long time. Um, so right now, if when I go out to networking events or whatever, when I, you know, say that I'm from Lee Sperling, they actually some some people actually know the firm. So so it's it's actually easier now to say, OK, my name is Kent. I'm a CPA versus, oh, I'm, my name is Kent. I, I'm with Lee Sperling. So that, that it's much easier sometimes when, when, um, when I'm out there networking, um, you know, definitely again, the, the crowd is, it, you know, the target market that I have now, it, it's, it's much different now, maybe a little larger size businesses instead of, um, the, you know, the, the startups or the, the, uh, uh, sole, uh, sole proprietors, um, so yeah, that that's that that's a huge difference. The difference that I, I I see. Okay, so accounting is definitely the type of industry that has strong ups and downs. Uh, meaning sometimes you have the year you're certainly busier than others. Uh, however, marketing isn't something you can simply turn off and turn back on. Uh, and be effective at it. How do you balance your marketing strategy to take these industry fluctuations into account? 
Yeah. So, I mean, during tax season, we can barely do any marketing uh, because we're just so busy. So the first, I'll say, you know, January through April 15th, we don't do anything at all. And then the rest of April, we just sort of wind down and just try to try to relax, you know, um, to not think about work. Um, but, you know, d- d- definitely during like the summertime or toward the end of the year, uh, we we try to uh, get our names out there. So right now I'm doing a lot of referral marketing, networking. Um, uh, my partners and I, we do sometimes do presentations um, at chamber events or other with other business organizations based on requests. Um, obviously, whenever there is a huge tax change. So a couple of years ago, there was this huge tax reform, right? And uh, we were invited to speak at uh, some events to talk about uh, the potential impacts on the certain industries. Uh, we were invited actually to talk about um, in the real estate industries, how it's been impacted. Um, so a lot of times toward the end of the year, there's a lot of tax planning opportunities and that's when we usually go out and give a talk. Uh, and so that's how we do it usually, um, at least in our firm. Yeah. Okay. And it, that makes a lot of sense because obviously, uh, as you said before, you're, you're having to go and fill those gaps in between it and traditional marketing, you know, whether it's being doing, let's say ads out there, uh, those typically take a lot longer for them to generate leads, uh, usually. And so being able to kind of always have, uh, maybe in some regards, what would be considered long gain or long game of marketing, which is the relationship building, uh, in these networking facilities that or networking groups, that you're able to build the relationship. So as people are needing time, and certainly it would make sense too that businesses are actually being uh, are busy during that same time in getting accounts and getting their tax preparations put together. So they themselves are uh, right at that point, not looking for a new service provider, they're probably already in the midst of doing that as well. So it's after even their slow season, which is then your slow season, uh, for the tax preparation, at least, that they're able to then look for maybe a new service provider such as yourself or another accounting firm uh, to build a new relationship. So, all right. <clears throat> so what trends do you notice across the board for businesses that turn out to be successful? Kind of in asking this question to go a little bit deeper on this is thinking about all the different types of businesses, all the different types of clients that you've worked with, uh, what are some commonalities, some common traits that you've seen for those that have actually been successful and have avoided, you know, the typical statistics of how many businesses close in the first year, five years, that kind of thing. What are some things that you've seen as common traits in those that have made it and are successful? Yeah. So one of the best thing about, uh, that I love about my job is that I see, different entrepreneurs work uh, in different industries. And uh, I I learned so much about what they do and what they face, um, you know, on a weekly or monthly or, you know, on a daily basis. 
And um, you know, no, matter, no matter if it's for-profit businesses or nonprofits, I mean, we see the inside and out. We see how they operate. Um, one of the things that I notice uh, uh, is that the businesses that are successful are business owners who work really, really hard. And this sounds like it's textbook or model answer, but, but it's true. Um, I, I, I've worked with um, business owners who are brilliant. I mean, they have a lot of talent, but I think they rely so much on that and they, they feel like they, they can either procrastinate or wait or, you know, um, or defer uh, their, 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 um, their duties to someone else. Um, they started, you know, since they made money, they just started to focus on getting nice things for themselves, uh, et cetera. Um, you know, the ones who are successful delays those luxuries. Uh, they work really, really hard. Um, some of them are, uh, they might not be as bright or it doesn't really have, uh, you know, the, the talent, but, um, but seems like hardworking and, uh, and, and those who, you know, embrace changes. I mean, those are the, the really sort of the common denominator of successful businesses uh, that I've seen. So, um, so yeah, I would say that that would be the, the sort of not necessarily a trend, but it's more like a trait. Um, you know, if you have a, if you have a business, I just go for it and work hard on it. Um, you know, um, so I mean, failure, um, in the business doesn't mean that you won't be successful. Sometimes, you know, if you start a business, if it doesn't work out, maybe, you know, you made a hard decision to wind it down. I mean, it could be a step for being successful because you you don't see anything, you know, that's working for you. And, uh, and, and, you know, some, a lot of times business owners, they, they, they work and they failed if they don't want to, you know, go back up again, but then, uh, you know what, actually winding down a business is actually could be a successful move to your next venture. You know, so uh, just just um, people who works hard, it's not lazy, who delays luxuries. And um, and yeah, so that's that's the, the, the common denominator, I'd say, that I find in successful business people. Got it. OK, yeah. And it, it sounds uh, as you describe that kind of brings to my mind the the whole story of the tortoise and the hare kind of thing. You know, the hare speeds through things, kind of just takes advantage of, of their maybe natural born talents a little bit more and kind of just rush through things. And, um, whereas the tortoise knowing that they're kind of at a disadvantage a little bit in that case is just keep, keep at it, keep moving forward, keep going, keep working hard and you'll get to that finish line. And also in that regard too, is ignore in some cases what's going around around you with your competitors and, and what they're doing. Uh, just focus on, continue to work hard. So, uh, there's definitely some correlation to that as well. So, uh, it's interesting though, because you're absolutely correct. And I've seen business owners that can, you know, have all the talent in the world and they bank on that so much that they're like, you know what, I really don't, I, I can, I can just kind of sit back and it's going to come to me and it's going to, it's all going to work out. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't matter how talented you are. You never know when that next client is going to be coming here. So you really need to be working hard, especially in the very beginning. You need to build up that, uh, you know, the pipeline. You got to build up 
your client base, you got to build up all of your expertise so that you're able to handle it and provide it to your clients. So uh, let's shift over to kind of some, uh, you know, marketing strategies that maybe have not worked. Are there any tactics in the marketing area, um, you know, on the other hand, that you've tried that you wish maybe you hadn't, you know, it was something, it was a learning experience. You thought it was going to work going into it. Then after all said and done, it just didn't work as you were expecting. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it all goes back to when I first started. Um, you know, I try to go to big networking events or, you know, lunches, dinner, alumni events, and just um, throw my business cards out like ninja throwing throwing stars, you know, let's <laughs> just try to get as much business cards out as possible and uh, collect as much business cards as possible and, you know, follow up emails and all that. I've, I've done all of that, but, but again, it, it goes down to the nature of my, my work, the nature of my work. Uh, I need to build a lot of trust. Um, so just blindly walking into um, a group of um, business person, uh, or, or business entrepreneurs, um, it, it doesn't work for, for me. It didn't work. So, um, I think the, the, the only way that work is, is just a really good uh, referral networking where you, you consistently go to a, a meeting, you meet a group of certain people, uh, on a consistently basis. And th that when you start to build trust in, in those people, that's where, uh, the business will start coming in. Um, you know, you maybe perhaps throwing out, uh, I mean, for example, uh, giving back to the community, you, you want to go out there and, and, um, just experience more, try to give back, you know, when, uh, you're, then there will be times where people will, will start, uh, noticing, uh, started to build trust, you know, with you. And that's how, um, you know, one of the things that you, you should be doing, um, uh, instead of just, again, going out there and just passing up business cards. It's not going to work, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, what's interesting to kind of point out that I'm hearing from you is that the medium itself, it was the same, both in what you've had success with and what you've had failure in. It's actually how you go about utilizing the medium has been the biggest difference for you. So you've had success in, like you said, building the relationships with people within the networking group where you did not have success in the beginning was, as you said, and I love that analogy is throwing business cards out like ninja stars. Um, you know, it, so you were at the same event, you know, technically you, you went to the same area that you had success, but you also had failure. It was just how you implemented it was the biggest difference for you and realizing that okay, just throwing your name around, just throwing your card and your information is not going to do it for these people. You really need to invest you into them. And that is what brings back the ROI on that investment of the marketing front. Right. And I also want to add, you know, just uh, on the social media front, um, I, I did try to, to we, I did try that with the firm and myself. Um, again, it, it, it's difficult sure. to um to to do business that way to market yourself that way i should say should, should, it's difficult to market yourself on online because there are so many cpas out there if you go mm -hmm. on a search engine right there's a list of services that that comes out 
and mm -hmm. uh, why would they pick you? They don't know you, right? Uh, do they? Does someone just, you know, want to just give you a tax return to prepare because you your search came sure. up to be number one on top? I mean, no, you have to build trust in in our business, and um, and then from then on, we do a lot of you know uh, referral from our clients. Uh, once we have that trust and that's how we usually grow our business. Got it. All right. Well, when we come back with Kent Lai, we're going to learn more about his perspective on business. Do not go anywhere. And we're back with Kent from Lee Sperling Hissop Monet. There are certain consulting uh, heavy fields like accounting and where the person providing service to business works with so many different types of businesses that they almost gain a spidey sense for various industries. Kent, because you've seen so many different businesses find success, or even in some cases the opposite, we're interested in hearing more about what you've learned You've seen a lot of businesses who are just starting out, uh, and I, I'm sure of that, but uh, what advice would you give a new business owner or owners uh, to help them find success? Well, um, a lot of times when entrepreneurs come to me and, and they have a great business ideas or they want to start a company or something like that, well, first of all, um, before they even incorporate, they should come and ask or uh, they should consult with a tax advisor first. Because then, you know, the way that I approach it is I will ask them a lot of questions. Say, for example, um, are, you, uh, are you a sole proprietor? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to sell stuff? Are you doing a, uh, providing a service? Um, do you have partners? Uh, do you have shareholders? Do you have um, uh, uh, passive shareholders or like investors, for example? Um, what, what is your plan of, of this product that you have? Are you going to launch it? Are you going to have, um, are you talking, are you talking to VCs, venture capitalists, um, et cetera. So, because the, the structure of the business itself affects them in the long run. So when they first start their business or even they, before they start to start incorporating, they should consult a tax advisor. Um, first to see, to, to help them choose what the best organizational type they should choose. Say, for example, if it's an LLC or um, an S corporation, um, uh, what, what I've seen, what I've seen a lot is, is a lot of freelancers who are doing um, freelance, I don't know, services, a photographer, for example, um, they come to me and, and, and they're like, oh, um, I've heard that my friend told me to, to set up a corporation, you know, so that, you know, uh, uh, should I do that? Because I'm going to be taking photos, uh, um, uh, photo portraits or family photos, etc. Then I said, you know, do you really need to incorporate? Um, are you, you know, whenever we incorporate is to, uh, it's a liability issue, right? Is to protect your assets and everything. Um, you know, a lot of times, uh, business owners thinks, oh, I'm, I'm legit now. I, I, I'm freelancing. I need to start a corporation. I said, um, 
you don't really need that maybe uh, i mean i mean do you have a lot of risk of getting being sued right the nature of your work um if not then sometimes you know in, an insurance policy would actually give you the same protection but then you save a lot of money you don't have to you can save money incorporating um you you save a lot of money on um professional services right you don't need to you know prepare a tax return etc so uh a lot of times um advising a tax you know going to a tax advisor for for advice first before you start your business is always um, a good move now uh, usually the second question that i ask uh, is if they are if it's a partnership if they're more than one owner is what is your exit strategy that's like the second question and that usually just throw up bricks into into whatever that they're, they're, they're building because it's like you know the attitude is Hey, I'm coming to you asking for advice. You know, we're excited. We have this new business. So then why are you asking us on how to end it? You know, I, I said, if I, if I don't ask you the question, a good lawyer who's setting up your company will ask the same thing. You know, we, we got to understand that um, no businesses, well, I'm going to say no businesses, but very little businesses goes forever, right? Uh I got I read a statistics not long was it yesterday that um, a new business only lasts about five years, right? So um, and and uh, what if this venture doesn't doesn't work? What if this venture does not work out? Uh, what are you guys going to do? What if one of you wants to keep doing it and the other does not? You know, you you have to find a way to to exit and you have to you know put it on paper and agree to it now before you you get to that point and you know um last thing you need is people suing each other right so you know so um for new businesses especially i asked that as my second question um and uh and then you know the third would be you know what's your long-term plan uh with this business what are you what where do you want to take this business uh, a year later five years later 10 years later are you just building this to sell? Are you um, think you think you're gonna keep it? Uh, when I say keep it, I mean, do you think you're gonna continue to have this business? Are you are you studying right now for a degree? I mean, are are you going to change job maybe later? You, is this just a short term venture? You know, all these questions I ask. Um, if they want to be successful, they they have to think a little long term, not just where they are. Uh, a month from now, five months from now, et cetera. Because, you know, a lot of businesses, if you're serious about it, you got to get into long-term leases. You got to get into some long-term commitments that you can't get out of, you know. Um, so you better know what you're doing for the, at least the next five years with this business or where this business is going the next five years. So that would be some advice that I would give. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, th thinking back uh, early days of starting my own business years ago, um, you know, one, I think it's uh, for a lot of people that may be listening that have not started their business yet. It is vital to talk to an accountant, a CPA like yourself, Kempi, is it, you kind of think, oh, I got to bootstrap. I kind of have to figure it out. Or they're thinking about it from the standpoint that, oh, that's going to be expensive to work with an accountant. I barely have two nickels to rub together right now to starting off my business. I can't afford that. But 
in reality is it's going to be detrimental for your long-term success because if you're not talking with someone that has the most amount of experience with this right off the bat, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up and there's so many different avenues. Even now, I by no means am a financial expert or expert on the different kinds of, uh, you know, LLC versus C Corp, S Corp, whatever it might be. But having someone in your corner that can guide you from the very beginning to set you down the right path uh, and knowing based off of you sharing your goals, your dreams with someone like yourself is only going to help you know, uh, like I said, set you up for success. Not to mention, I think it's an excellent point about the uh, partnership situation where a lot of people just, they're kind of still in that honeymoon and they're like, oh, it's always going to be roses. It's always going to be great. And it's always going to be fantastic. There's never going to be any problems. It's like, well, there's a lot of partnerships that don't succeed. So it's better to think about what if and have an agreement right off the bat. I think you were sharing the other day a story about uh, you know, a, a corporation or even a partnership that came to you first, you gave that guidance and they ended up, you know, not even starting because they couldn't agree yeah. on how they were going to dissolve it. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, I, I have someone who came to me, it was, uh, two, two, uh, two entrepreneurs. Uh, they, they wanted to start a business of selling PPEs. Oh, shoot. I, I, okay, cut that out. All right, let me start over. <laughs> uh, I, I have uh, two two entrepreneurs coming, one to, um, to be in the retail business. And um, after I explained to them that, you know, well, your long-term goal is this, the cost of setting up a uh, an, a company is, is that, um, is X amount. And uh, you, the fees that you will see is uh, X amount. And uh, they, after that meeting, they decided that they were not going to do it because it was it cost too much. Uh, there was too much risk involved, and and uh, it sounded like they they never did they, they couldn't agree on uh, the the split on how to exit. Um, looks like they have different goals for the business. So you know that would be a great time to separate before you start something together. True. Very true. So on the note of new businesses, what's the fastest you've ever seen of your clients business take off, you know, from ground floor to, I don't know, $5 million, 10 million, whatever that amount is, but without revealing any sensitive information, <laughs> which we know you wouldn't and you can't, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how they pulled off what they did? Sure. Sure. So, uh, usually, Businesses, when they first start, um, let's say the first couple of years, they will they will be operating in a loss, uh, just because there's a lot of investment involved um, or working capital that needs to be put into the business. Uh, but the fastest I've seen is um, a, one entrepreneur who uh, she is a uh, a minority woman, and uh, she had no experience at all in what she's doing now and she started this business and unfortunately i can't say what it is um she started this business and uh before she she um start everything she did a lot of homework uh she did a lot of research uh, uh demographics um 
uh, income level. And she chose a location that was perfect for her business. And after the initial year of investment, the second year, she doubled her revenue. Third year doubled. And, and even during this pandemic time, her business, that trend is still going. There was no dent in her business in terms of the bottom line at all. So I think the reason why she's so successful is because um, she, well, first of all, she is brilliant. She's a bright person, really, really smart. Um, and uh, she works really, really hard. Uh, she works sometimes 12 hours a day. Um, and uh, But she, what, what was so impressive is that she did her homework. She knew exactly where to place this business in. And uh, she, her strategies was just fabulous. She did a lot of work. And, and, and it all goes down to, you know, successful businesses. It all goes down to hard work. Uh, well, it, it helps. She's a brilliant woman. She's really talented too. Uh, that helps a lot. So, so now she now has two locations and, um, and it's just, you know, uh, her business has been close to doubling every year. And which is, which is, you know, one of my most successful clients ever. <laughs> so she, she's one of the ones that, uh, pairs the, natural talent, but also hard work. You get the hybrid of the, the hare and the tortoise. I'll let everyone kind of visualize that for a second in their mind, what that hybrid might look like. But, uh, so the, in all seriousness though, she took that, it sounds like the, the hard work just, especially with not having any experience and knowledge in the industry that she went after or the, uh, you know, the type of business that she went for, along with her natural talent, her ability, her smarts, all of those things paired together worked out to be a really perfect combination. Yeah, she, she basically self-taught this industry herself. Um, all of a sudden, all of her competitors who have been in the industry for many, many years just threatened by her, right? Uh, is, is it because, you know, she has a lot of experience? No, but she's just more hardworking than, and than all of her competitors. And, and she's, she works the longest hour in her company, you know? So that's, that's it. That's just all I wanted to add is she's just an amazing woman. Well, it's probably also too, you know, for someone that doesn't have a lot of experience, there's something to be said about kind of that outsider coming in. Uh, someone that has a fresh new look on the industry, maybe if it's, again, we don't know what the industry is, but if it's one that's been around for a long time that has been traditionally run always the certain way, uh, that you've got a, a newbie coming to it that has no experience whatsoever. So looking through a completely new, fresh pair of eyes at the situation and problem solving and seeing where there's opportunity to make change, where there's opportunity to improve the processes or whatever it might be, which all then contributes towards the success, it sounds like. Right, right. And and she, she, she took it, it's textbook business school strategies that she did, you know, SWOT analysis, demographic research. I mean, she did all of that. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Yeah, she sounds like a very impressive and talented woman at that. So thank you for sharing that. Are there any, let, so we're, we're going to shift a little bit. So we just talked about the success. Now let's shift over to, well, I don't like to be negative, but it's also important to point out some of the 
realistic uh, situations that are maybe not as positive. So are there any patterns that you notice in businesses that you've worked with that are not as successful? Obviously, you highlighted uh, earlier when we were talking about what are some trends and what are some things that you see in successful businesses, one of those negative being that someone relying just on their talent. But are there any other pieces that you can share for businesses that have followed a certain trend that have not been as successful? Um, Generally, um, businesses that are not successful um, are business owners who does not embrace change or hates change. Um, I have worked with uh, people who uh, just any type of changes that happens in her or his or her environment, um, it just irritates her and uh, she just become really grumpy. I mean, the bank statements, the format changed from one one month to another or a business processed, a, a business process that changed. Uh, it irritates someone because they've been doing the same thing over and over again for many, many years and they're comfortable and they don't want to learn new stuff. You know, uh, those type of business owners or are usually not very successful. And, um, uh, you know, those who are successful are always embracing changes because you know what? Things always change right? Tax laws change. Um, uh, you know, service providers change sometimes. Uh, regime changes, right? <laughs> so uh, you, you, you sort of have to just, if you're a really good business owner, you have to be flexible. You have to embrace the changes, seeing it as a challenge, you know, and, and try to work around it. Um, and uh, if, if you're just a grumpy person, um, you know, you just create a lot of negative energy to the people who works around you, um, your, your customers, your vendors. I mean, if you're always grumpy, I mean, you're just not going to be very successful. Right. Um, so that's sort of, um, what I I've noticed in, uh, failing businesses, <laughs> So there's two parts that I, I heard from you on this one, which is one being, if you're grumpy, uh, you will not be successful. That That's one. Uh, and then two is embrace, embrace change. And what's interesting, it kind of comes to my mind is thinking about businesses even that have been successful. So they started off, they did all the hard work and they, they made it. And they're one of these kind of long going businesses that you see that they get just kind of set in their ways and they don't embrace change. Uh, Maybe at the time when they first were starting up, they were the on the leading edge, the cutting edge of their industry. And they were they were embracing change wholeheartedly. Uh, But then as they got a little bit older and they got a little bit more set in their ways and, you know, that uh, uh, reference to old dogs, new tricks kind of thing. Uh, the reason that comes about is old dogs don't want to change. They they don't want to learn new tricks. And so that off, often also then ties into why some of these businesses that have been around for years, centuries even, 
that end up going away because, you know, like you said, the regime changed. There wasn't new freshness added, injected in at the highest level, or they just weren't embracing change altogether. So that's an excellent point, and I appreciate you sharing that. What is the most, uh, or let, let's go back to marketing for a second. So what marketing choices would you recommend to others in your industry? I know you talked about the networking piece of it, but is there anything else that you can add? Any other tips for in your specific industry of accounting, uh, CPA, uh, you know, tax preparation, any other kind of marketing uh, strategies and, and successes that you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, it, it all goes down to um, it, it all goes back down to the trust factor. So if you can be uh, with a group of people longer um, and uh, it, wherever you can get a chance to build your trust in the community, uh, either if it's, you know, business community or your, your neighborhood community or whatever, um, whenever you, you can uh, go out there and build that trust with other people. That's where you have an opportunity to market yourself. Um, like I said, uh, the the traditional marketing for for us CPAs, um, let's say if we even get a billboard up on the freeway, is it going to work? I don't know. <laughs> um, you know why? Why should we trust you or whatever? Uh, it, again, it goes down to trust and and. Um, Whenever you have a chance, uh, a CPA, you might get invited to talk about, like to give a to give a talk on certain tax subject. Go out there and you know, um, show your face, uh, give that talk if you're if you think you have enough experience and an expert in that field, and just get out there in, in certain business communities and and uh, build your network that way. Uh, I think that it's more effective than just going to different events and just, again, handing out cards or maybe even um, uh, social marketing or, or building up your social media, you know, profile. I mean, that's important to get out there. You know, I'm not saying that it's not important, but in, sort of in, in terms of effectiveness, I think when it, uh, whenever you can have a chance to build trust, or if you can have a medium in which out there you can build trust with the community, that's where you should do it. That's how you should do it. Absolutely. So a couple of things I've, I've pulled out of what you just mentioned is that one, uh, like you had mentioned before with the networking is investing of yourself, investing of your time. But also you pointed out is look for opportunities where you as an expert in your field or expert in your industry uh, or maybe others industries that are needing of your services, especially like you're talking about in the business to business world that as laws and different things are changing that are going to affect them on the tax front that you certainly have to, for your existing clients, even have to be an expert or as close as you can to it um, in understanding how the laws have changed and how they're going to affect your clients. You're already doing the research. You're already having to learn about those things that then taking that knowledge and going out there and offering it up to other groups, other, uh, you know, not just one individual that's, it, it, it's not a waste of your time, but you're really not getting a big... Uh, offering of individuals listening to what you're having to talk about. So 
find opportunities out there, not just within networking groups, but more specifically where you can be a guest speaker, where you can be there as an expert in your field, representing your industry, your field, but also then being able to speak to how you can help them and what you're offering up knowledge of. So that helps build up the trust. The other part that I want to pull out too is talking about, <clears throat> and you and I can have, have discussed this before about giving back to the community. Uh, it all goes back into your investment in time, your investment into the community. Not that you're looking at it from a standpoint of what can I get out of it, but the natural benefit, the natural fruits of your labor just automatically happen, which is, again, you're building trust, you're giving of your time, people trust you. So then when they think about, okay, we need to make an adjustment with our accounting firm or a CPA or whoever it is, who should we talk to? Well, you know what? I've been working with an individual on our nonprofit board and he's really good and I really like him and he knows what he's doing and he advises us constantly on different things. You're going to be at the forefront of their mind because you're giving of your time. Not that that's your intent from the beginning, of course, but just it's the natural fruits of your labor. It's a natural you giving back to the community. And we've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners here on the show that have echoed those same sentiments where they don't go out to give back to the community to say, okay, what can I now get out of this? Because I'm not going to waste my time if I can't, you know, get something in return. They're looking at it saying, I want to give back to the community that has already helped us out to begin with. Or I want to give back to maybe communities that are less fortunate. And it's just the giving nature of entrepreneurs. It's the giving nature of businesses. So that I think is in a really important part, again, that I, I don't want it to go unnoticed or just kind of, you know, go under the radar, so to speak, that you're talking about giving back to the community and it has natural implications on the benefit side that will come back to you long term. Yeah, so I, I just want to add to that. Um, the, the giving back to the community piece, um, I think as professionals, we uh, uh, a lot of times, especially like myself, uh, people like CPAs, CPAs or other uh, professionals out there, Giving back to the community is is a great idea, uh, not because um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't approach it from a marketing standpoint, but I would approach it as something that um, you can learn from. For example, if I were to serve on a board on a on a nonprofit organization, um, it's not necessarily, you know, it, it, it's about me learning how, let's say, for example, a nonprofit works. And that way I can take that. Uh, what I've seen before and apply that to my job. And since I've had that experience and, and you know, if a nonprofit uh, organization approaches for any type of services, audits or uh, tax preparation, we understand you know, and we know how to serve them. So it's more of a, a value add to myself um, as well. Uh, you know, on top of giving, giving back to the, to the community and, and also, um, uh, I want to uh, add to the uh, the marketing choices question that you had earlier. Um, I, I would not invest a lot of time on going to big events or even I would even save my money on doing a lot of uh, ones that you cannot build trust on, a lot of marketing that you won't build trust on. Uh, I would spend that time and money on equipping myself in in an area in which I'm not let's say I'm not specialized in. Uh, 
I'm just giving an example. Let's say I'm not uh, special. Say for example, I'm not I'm not specialized in uh, accounting for um, or international tax. Right? It's it's a huge it's a huge um, topic right now. Why don't I spend that money and time on learning how to be an expert in that field? And that way, I can market myself even better to a crowd that is sort of untapped, right? Uh, for either expats or people who are investing in the United States for international tax purposes. So, so um, you know, we can use our time wisely, I'd say, uh, in, in terms of instead of just throwing out, try to invest too much money on lead marketing or, or something like that, put that money into education for yourself. And once you have that uh, expertise and that experience, and that's how you even better market yourself to different type of industries. So that's just all I want to add. Interesting. That's a that's an excellent perspective on that. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because I know a lot of people when we're asking the marketing questions uh, tend to go towards probably what you consider the more obvious ones, which is, okay, what are you doing in the form of actually marketing yourself out there? Uh, what you're referring to is taking the time, taking the money, whatever it might be that you traditionally would do and reinvesting it back into yourself and, and reinvesting it back into your own knowledge and your own experience so that you are better equipped to offer more, provide more services or provide different kinds of products that normally you wouldn't be able to because you didn't invest the time into learning how. So excellent point on that. So, uh, well, what Kent, it has been a pleasure uh, to have you here on Ignite Your Business Radio Show. Regardless of whether you own a major company, a mom and pop shop, or starting out with a simple Etsy store, there are some key pieces of financial advice uh, that our listeners need to take into account. And Kent, it's been an absolute pleasure. But before we go, I do have a couple of burning questions for you. Uh, so starting with the first one, business taxes work a little bit differently than personal taxes, as you mentioned earlier. With that in mind, what does and what should a business uh, owner remember in the form of dates, uh, specific dates that they should keep in mind for uh, their business and filing taxes or whatever it might be? Uh, sure. So traditionally, um, the ta f tax filing deadlines for personal taxes are on April 15th, and uh, you can do a six months extension to uh, October 15th. Um, if you have a C corporation, that's ha that has the same deadline. And uh, if you have an LLC or S corporation, your tax deadline is usually on March 15th, or you can extend it to you can get a six months extension to September 15th. So it's generally the um, uh, the 15th day of the third month or the fourth month is when your tax filing is due. Now, keep in mind that tax filing being due and taxes, the actual money, the check being due is different. Uh, if you were to extend your tax return, um, you can extend the filing, but if you have taxes due, you still have to pay them in advance. It doesn't matter if you uh, are going to get a refund um, or not. Your taxes is going to be due on the due dates. Um, so what I usually suggest uh, taxpayers to do is to pay a little bit more if you can come up with an estimate. Uh, usually CPAs can help you come up with an estimate of taxes that you need to pay, uh, given that if you have given them all the information. 
Um, so keep that in mind that um, tax filings can be extended, but not the taxes. The actual check that you have to write, that's not, that cannot be extended. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of individuals get, uh, especially that are non-business owners, get very confused. And they automatically think, oh, you can extend, you can do an extension of, of your taxes. Well, yes and no. It's an extension of your filing. It is not an extension of the money that is owed. Have, you know, let, let's uh, get rid of this misconception that government's willing to wait for their money. <laughs> Government is not willing to wait for their money. Nope. They are owed their money. They see it that they're owed their money. They want it paid. Now you doing the, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's, that to them, they're like, sure, if you want to take some extra time on that, that's great. But we still want our money is what it really yeah. comes down to. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of individuals that are not business owners forget about that. Sure, you can do that even on your personal taxes, like you mentioned, uh, but it is still works the same way government still wants their their cut of the pie so it 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 works yep. both ways also i think it's important to point out that you and i have talked about this before is it also depends too on what your state level you know kind of what you're talking about is maybe on more of the federal level but you also have different dates and different times of when the state sometimes is is needing their funds as well. So it's probably important to consult with someone like yourself, uh, consult with you directly or someone like yourself that knows these dates, knows when it's important for the state and federal so that kind of keep it in check and you're not having to be the one to personally try and figure this all out. So there's also the local level, the oh, city level. See, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, those have different deadlines. And those are all little and sometimes uh, big slices of the pie that uh, you are bringing home that you got to remember about. So there are many, many things, many, many deadlines. Yeah, so consult your accountant early. You'll be happy to un to know this, uh, and I think you'll you'll appreciate this. Is you know we just had Halloween, and so I'm teaching our kids about taxes very early because you know it's part of growing up. Uh, as you get older, you're going to have to learn about this. I don't want them to be like, wait, I just made my first dollar and I only get to keep 75 cents of it. It's like, yeah, it's a real thing. Taxes are a real thing. So when they bring home their candy from Halloween, I say, okay, immediately there is what is called the daddy tax. And the daddy tax takes a certain percentage. So oh, let me you. just educate you on how this works. Now, if they have like a score, like a massive just they took in, I say, well, unfortunately, you're part of the one percenters that I take even more of a tax in that case. So that they they learn the hard lessons of of the I I'm not insensitive to kids, Ken. You're getting how much me this did you take? Back. Oh my gosh. I, I didn't take that much. I took like maybe I, I, it's percentage again, like taxes. So it's What's like, what's the percentage uh, anywhere from 10 to 20%. You know, it's like, you should have taken 45. Oh, see, I thought I was bad. You were giving me this look like I was doing real life. 45%. Okay. What are you talking so about? I'll, now? See, I got to go back to him and say, Hey, <laughs> I was just advised by our accountant that I have to take more of a percentage from you. So yeah. Yeah, well, yep. they they have to learn at some point. So I appreciate it. I, I you were making me feel the bad. I thought you were going to be calling like child man. services here 25. in a second Come because on, I was taking, you know, any kind of candy, and you're like, <laughs> no, you got to take more. I okay. Hey, this is why we have you as our 
our CPA <laughs> Kent. This is exactly why. Just don't don't say those same words to me. Uh, that's that's all. No I'm refund too. <laughs> all right. So why is it important for businesses <laughs> to get marketing expenses and any other expenses for that matter uh, into budget before the end of the fiscal year? Yeah. So this is uh, kind of a. a, a uh, good question to ask um, because a lot of companies when they're giving a marketing budget or any type of budget is like, oh, you know what? We better spend this money before the end of the year or else we won't get funded, right? Um, so, I, I mean, I just don't look at the budget thing um, sort of this one-liner like marketing expense budget, right? Uh, if, you're a, if you're a business owner, you should really look at the bottom line if your company has already exceeded the whole budget in terms of um, funding, right? Uh, if it's just not just one line, but maybe you have overfunded on, on payroll, uh, over budget on payroll and underfunded in marketing expenses. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me to uh, try to meet that budget because you think you budgeted that much money, but you really have to look at your bottom line. But I mean, if you if you think your budget, you know, if you're under budget overall and you still think you can um, uh, have some savings from an other expense line, then then you can you know go ahead and, and, and do that savings. Um, but but I would also look at, you know, in next year as well how much are you going to budget for next year maybe we can save this budget and push it to next year um you know something like that and uh one thing one funny thing about budgeting is uh, and business owners usually miss this is that um they're constantly changing budgets and i don't i don't really understand um why they they do that because if you change your budget why have a budget in the first place? It's like it's like what I call uh, you're moving in soccer terms. You're moving your goals where you want to score it, right? <laughs> or in basketball terms, you're moving the hoops in where you can actually make make the the field goal. So it, it, it's like why why have a budget in the first place? So so my my um, unless you know your your initial budget came out to be just completely. Um, it doesn't make sense. Maybe you have, maybe your company has grown, um, you know, by two hundred percent unexpectedly, or 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 COVID happens, right? Just totally throughout everything. So that's when you you know be a little little bit more realistic. You might want to you know that budget doesn't really make sense anymore. You know that's when you want to change it. But but on the regular year, you know don't don't change your budget. If you change your budget, why half one? It, it just, it just boggles my mind. Um, so, so, so yeah, I mean, the bottom line, uh, is to, is, is where you want to look at. If you still have, if you have exceeded funding, um, you know, over budgeted, um, or under budgeted already overall, then you, if you still see a marketing budget there, do you really want to spend it? Um, you know, that you have to ask yourself that question. So, so yeah, that's how I would approach it. <laughs> well, you and I have talked about this before as well in previous conversations where it, it kind of, it's funny how you usually will have individuals that have worked for a corporation before. And some of them have been in management positions where they 
are in charge of a budget for their particular department. And so the way they oftentimes will have this misconception is, and they carried over from the corporate world into their business when they're starting it, which is, hey, I had a certain budget. I had to keep with that budget. If I didn't spend it, I would lose it then the following you know, fiscal year. And that really... Uh, to break that down a little bit and understand it is because the business owner and the CPA or the uh, CFO are looking at expenses to budget for the following year. So the reason that you're wanting to spend the funds is because if they go, oh, hey, look at this, we saved some money here. We probably don't need to put that in our budget for next year. And so you as a department are seeing it as, hey, we need to make sure we spend this or we're going to lose traction on this and it's going to be much harder to try and get approval for adding to our own budget accordingly. But as a business owner, you're looking at it from the standpoint of you don't have this magical, you know, Scrooge McDuck vault that you're able to tap into and be able to inject additional cash whenever you want, just because you're like, oh, we went over to budget. You know what? Let's go ahead and inject some more cash in. You have to look at the bottom line. So it's really important for those that are especially transitioning from the corporate world, working for someone into then your own business, understanding that. And you you had mentioned this to me before about with the bottom line versus the single line item. You know, if you are under on a single line item, but you're over in other areas, well, then that you know, typically is going to balance out at the end, but you can't look at it to say, Hey, marketing, we're under, we probably should just spend a bunch more. Well, you got to look at the big picture. You got to look at the whole thing in a holistic view to see where you're at and look at it appropriately. Right. So, so I mean, a budget, I mean, the purpose of a budget is, is so that you can sort of keep a standard, right. Of your, of your business activities. Um, if, if you overspend on on one line item, I mean, you really need to look at why it was overspent. Um, so the budget is there for you to sort of, sort of, it's sort of like a report card there where you um, see where you can make improvements, right, uh, mm-hmm. to your businesses in certain areas. And, and I, I really like uh, looking at these numbers because it, it, it sort of tells you where you're um, where you're hurting. So it's like, what are your symptoms on your body? So let's go treat it, right? So if we look at, if we look at a company, so like a, like a human body, uh, if you have um, thinning hair, if you have, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, a joint pain or whatever, those are symptoms of reflecting something about your health. Same thing with looking at a budget or financials, right? If these numbers are in the red, it's telling you something is wrong, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and as accountant, a lot of times we we help our clients identify those uh, red marks, and that's uh, sometimes we compare the actuals to the budgets um, to see where what went wrong. Because when you come up with the budget, it's most likely you know okay, it's based on experience. Past five years, we spent on the average X amount. Mm. That's our budget for next year, right? But this year <laughs> we have doubled it on our actual right. spending. So that's where you go back and see, hey, you know, something's wrong with this line, what happened? Is it an accounting error or do we actually did spend that much money on office supplies? What did what, what did we buy that exceeded our five year average? You know, it's like, um, so, so so that's something that, um, that that business owners should, should uh, keep in mind. Um, changing the budget is just, 
like saying, you know, oh, uh, my my blood pressure should read that and I'm there. I'm going to change it. Uh, I'm going to say myself, I'm going to say that I'm healthy because I reached that level. It's, this doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else our listeners should take into account for balancing their 2020 books? Um, I mean, so I, um, a lot of my work focus or, or actually my principle uh, is that, you know, we focus a lot on planning. So, um, you know, you still have one and a half month left. I mean, where are you in terms of your financials, right? Um, how much taxes are you paying in the past? Uh, how much money are you making this year if you're a business owner? And, uh, you know, there are there might still be ways where you can make some tax planning moves uh, at the end of the year that might benefit you from, um, you know, uh, paying a lot of taxes. If you have an equipment that you wanted to buy, uh, that you want to investment uh, that you want to invest in for your business, buy it before the end of the year. You know, if, if there are expenditures that you're going to spend anyways, you know, then go ahead and do it. Um, you know, just for, you know, just, that's just a very typical, um, tax move. So, but, but, um, in general, uh, you, what you, what business owners should do is look at their business plan for the next three to five years, uh, or may sometimes maybe 10 years and, and see where they're at. Um, and always discuss with your tax advisor, um, you know, if this is my plan, what kind of tax implications that you know um, are there from you know from this plan, and um, and just you know be pre be prepared for it, have a plan to adjust whatever that is you know advised, and uh, and, and and see if it works because um, we as we all know that there might be a regime change uh, in our country. And uh, that means when, whenever there's a change uh, in the presidency, uh, tax laws usually will change. And I have been reading a lot on, um, uh, on Biden's uh, tax proposal, and it is dramatic. So, you know, um, talk to your, your CPA or tax advisor. Uh, about the coming changes and how it affects you uh, before it's too late. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So I mean, always have a plan. Always uh, be in contact with your accountant. Yes, you have to pay them. And you know what? Accounting is just one of the things that, if you think about it in the, from a business sense, it is a cost center. It makes you no money having an accountant in your company. Think about it. What what is what does he do? Right. She balance your books, <laughs> all right? Or he or she who balance your books. The account balance your books. Um, and uh, it, 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 it doesn't create profit for me. It's not someone who will uh, work for me that creates something that I can sell or whatever, right? Um, so, but, but the unmeasurable value that an accountant have is that they can provide you with information that you can make business decisions on for the future well i don't even i don't even see it as just a cost or or you know expenditure that is just kind of looking like a vacuum that's just pulling in money 
uh, and sucking it out out of the business. Rather, if it's done correctly, it actually is a long-term investment. And that's where it can turn into the revenue, even though it's not traditionally looked at as, you know, well, this isn't going to generate me anything. Well, quite the opposite. Like we talked about from the very beginning as your recommendation for new businesses starting off, if you talk with an accountant, a CPA that know what they're doing right from the beginning, you're actually setting yourself up for success rather than harder times because you made the wrong decisions and choices. So even though I, I appreciate your honesty in this and a lot of people would see it as it's pulling funds from the business, quite the contrary. I see it as you're actually, if, if you have the right accountant, the right CPA, the right person in your corner, and this goes for a lot of things in life, but especially in this particular area for your business, that having the right person can actually set you up for wins in the future. It's not going to be instantaneous. It's not going to be things that you feel right away, but long-term, long, long game, you're going to actually feel the the benefits from it, the positives and versus just the negatives. Right. So I, I think the, the, well, my point was trying to bring it is that it's uh, exactly what you said is the uh, value and the, that you don't see is the, is the cost that you don't see where, you might need to pay penalties down the road, right? You can save you money there, uh, save you taxes there. Um, uh, it's it's an investment that you should make because um, a lot of times when people don't invest in money in, in accounts I've seen before, what I've seen before was that um, they were in violations everywhere. Uh, I, I have inherited clients when I look at their tax returns is like, you didn't file that, you didn't file this, you didn't, you didn't, you're missing this. You know what that means? <laughs> Penalties and interest, right? So, um, so yeah, I guess my point is, is, is there, there is unmeasurable value and you don't see it right away, but, um, but do talk to a tax advisor. I think it will save you money in the long run uh, to, to keep you in compliance. And that's, that's where the value is. Absolutely. All right. Well, you, you know me, Ken, I could talk to you forever and ever about this because this, uh, even though numbers make my head hurt, uh, I love talking theory and long-term with you all the time, but let's, uh, last two questions. I promise we'll, we'll get you out of here, but yep. what was the last book that you read or that you're currently reading right now? Yeah. So I've read a book called, uh, make big happen by Mark Moses. And um, he is an entrepreneur, and um, uh, he founded one of the, the biggest mortgage companies in Orange County. And uh, he his whole the point whole point of this book is is you know um, we can really make big things happen if we work hard and dream enough at it. So one of these things one time when he was addressing that you know. Um, you know, <laughs> there might be an elephant in the room. So he was thinking, you know, what if I really, truly at a company event, uh, ride an elephant into the conference room, you know, and he did it right. <laughs> and he did, he pulled a lot of strains, but, but he actually did it. So, uh, he, um, he's a very successful businessman. Um, the book, you know, it, 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 it um, it gives me a lot of uh, points to think about. Uh, he, it really resonated with me because he is a um, a true businessman uh, and a true family man. Um, and uh, he, although you know he's really successful, but one of the things that he pointed out was that um, your your business will go away. 
um, your your uh, business partners, your clients will will not always be there, but your family is always there. So uh, he spent he does he does spend a lot of times with his family. He um, but he also travels a lot. He runs a lot of marathon and stuff. A very successful person. So uh, so yeah, that was uh, uh, one book that. Uh, that I've read, and um, you know, it gives me a lot of uh, inspiration and perspective. Okay, cool. All right, last question: What is your favorite quote? What's your go-to quote? This is your uh, mental Red Bull, as I sometimes refer to it as. This is injects uh, excitement and renews the spirit. You know, I I couldn't imagine you ever getting bored of numbers. Uh, but let's say you're just kind of dragging that one day and you got stuff to do and more tax returns to do for clients. What, what's something that, uh, you either have it written somewhere or you just have it kind of seared into your brain, uh, that you always tap into for that go-to quote. Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many, there's just so many, but the recent one that I have, um, uh, heard, uh, that I've, 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 I've ran into is uh, by uh, Dr. Ivan Meisner. And he mentioned that entrepreneurs, either they work in flames or they work in wax. Working in flame means that he or she is on fire. You can, uh, he's really always very excited to talk about his business. You can hear it in their voice. They're always speaking about their businesses and they, they do really, really well and they're excited about it. Working in wax means that um, you are you don't like what you're doing. Uh, it's always dragging you. Uh, you you feel tired. You're exhausted doing that particular business function, etc. And, um, and he had a story on uh, where when he was building his business, um, accounting was his wax. He hated it, right? So, um, but the way he thought was, if this is my wax, this must be somebody else's flame. So he have a bookkeeper who was just passionate about accounting. <laughs> so I would say that, you know, accounting is sort of my flame. You know, uh, that, that gives me the inspiration, um, uh, seeing, uh, my clients successful is, is, uh, you know, is, one of the things that I've always wanted to do is to make a difference in my client's business. They do what they do best, right? If they are a, a, uh, a designer focus on designing, let me handle your financials, you know, hand it off. Because you, I understand that business um, owners they wear many hats, right? And and uh, unfortunately, accounting is one of them that you have to do because you have to stay in, in compliance with the law. And I, I, I always tell them, you know, just do best on what you do, and let me handle the rest. You know, if you are flaming on what you're doing best, and I am. Uh, taking that function off of you. And, you know, if accounting is my flame, we put the two flame together, you know, we're going to blow up. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure if that, I'm not sure if that's a good analogy, but anyways, uh, you know what I mean? Um, it, it, it's, 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 um, it's just some of the things that I, I love to do um, you know, to help 
uh, my clients to make better business decisions and and uh, be in better financial positions than they are. And if my clients are successful, I'm successful. And that's how I measure success um, my way. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, to learn more about the work that Kent Lai at uh, Lee Sperling Hissimone is doing, visit igniteradioshow.com. Look for this episode, this very one that you're listening to right now. There you can find a recording of this episode as well as any information you might need to get in touch with him. I hope the information that Kent shared today helped light the fuse inside of you and ends up taking your business to the next level. I'd like to thank our guests today, our production team, our engineering team, and most of all, all of you listening. Until next week, I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. Have a great and successful rest of the week, everybody. Content of this podcast should not be considered legal or tax advice and is for informational purposes only. Communications made through this podcast and or participating in this session does not create any type of client relationship. Additionally, the radio show and Lee Sperling Hisamoon Accountancy Corporation are not responsible for any content that you may access from third-party resources that may be accessed through or linked to this session.